Thank you, TJ and Callie and Chris and Thomas for leading us in worship. And God is so good. In a, in a day yesterday filled with uh, lots of presence and family and distraction, I, I hope all of us were able to remember uh, who the ultimate gift is and uh, who the ultimate gift giver is. Um, God is so good and so faithful. Uh, my name is Matt Carr, and I just want to welcome you to Grace Life this morning. And a special welcome to our kindergarten through fifth graders joining us. Uh, we have some family-style worship this morning. And we're just happy to be here um, on the day after Christmas to worship our King, the true King, and our Savior this morning. And if you want to connect with us in any way, uh, you can scan this QR code up on the screen. That'll bring you to the church app. You can find the scripture reading for today. Uh, you can give any tithes or offerings through that. We also have a box in the back to do that as well if you want to uh, serve the kingdom in that way. Um, but I want to, before we read the scripture for this morning, I want to read our Grace Life welcome um, because I know all of us need to hear this every single week. So I'll read this for us. I might have to pull it. There it is. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So this morning, Tommy will be preaching from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you want to turn there or scroll there on your device, it's Matthew chapter 2. It'll be verses 1 through 20. Matthew 2, 1 through 20. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what, the, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. 
But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Grace Life, and Merry Christmas, and Merry Christmas to those of you who are watching from home. I know sometimes we have more people that tune in on our uh, live feed who are traveling or are just out of pocket or maybe hosting family or out of family's house for the holidays, um, so I wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm going to pause and pray, and we're going to jump right into this passage, so let's do that now. Lord Jesus, we are here to honor you, to worship you to adore you. I pray that you would engage us today, Lord. We would engage with you and we would leave here transformed. I pray that nothing would be able to distract us, Lord, or to divide our attention or to pull us away from the most important just few minutes we have this morning to just consider the truth, Lord, of of Christianity and the claims of Lord Jesus on our life and what his arrival meant to the people then and what it means to us now. So help us to just stay focused for the next few minutes, Lord, and, and, and be helped. May your spirit open our eyes to see things that we know are there in the Bible. Sometimes we're just blinded to them, Lord. Open, open our eyes, open our hearts. We pray all of these things in the wonderful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. There we go. All right, so a lot of people would ask, why in the world are you preaching a Christmas message the day after Christmas? Christmas is over. We're taking down the tree. We've already got up the stuff for New Year's and for the first holiday in 2022. Well, if you'll notice right there in chapter 2, verse 1, read those words with me. Now, after Jesus was born. So I'm in good company, right? This is the after Christmas party here. So after Jesus was born, this is actually the story, and we're reading it, you'll notice We're reading this from Matthew's version. A lot of people who read the Christmas story, they prefer Luke's version. And that's okay. They're both inspired. They're equally valuable. The Bible says all scripture is profitable. But if you'll notice, man, if you go to a Christmas pageant or or you want a nice, peaceful, tidy, clean Christmas story, most people go to Luke's version because that's where you get the peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's where you get shepherds kept watch over their flock at night. It was peaceful. It was tranquil. Luke's version is, seems to be more nice and neat and pretty and a happy ending. And Matthew version, Matthew's version, not so much. It's messy. It's troubling. It's violent. It's bloody. <laughs> it's not clean. It's not neat. And there's several reasons for that. In fact, if we're honest, Matthew's version is a little bit disturbing. That's why I've titled this message Christmas in Tears. Because in Matthew's version... We're going to come up front and personal with what the arrival of Jesus meant. There's several reasons why Matthew's version is this way. Number one, first of all, because Jesus entered human history. He was not born on an exotic, peaceful island somewhere. He entered into our darkness, into our fallen world that was broken, that was filled with sin already and violence, that was had authorities and rulers thrown that really didn't belong there, didn't have any business there, and we're going to feel threatened by his arrival. And so there's going to be bloodshed and vengeance. Jesus entered human history. And I love that. I love the fact that Matthew puts historical skin on this story. You would be suspect if Matthew opened his gospel and said, a long time ago, in a very special place, a very special person was born. He doesn't do that. And I love that, that that the Bible invites your your, your inquiries, your questions, your claims we would be really suspect and suspicious that the Bible used ambiguous and obscure language, but it doesn't. In fact, check this out. Check, check this out. Now, after Jesus was born, there's your time. In Bethlehem of Judea, there's your place. In the days of Herod the king, there's a ruler. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Listen to all these names and dates and times and rulers. Matthew's inviting you to verify this. This is real stuff. This is not the stuff of fables or legends. It's not allegorical. It's not a myth. It's not in a galaxy far, far away or anything like that. This is the real deal. 
And that's why it's messy, because real life is real messy. This is a real Savior who was born for real sinners like us. So that's why Matthew's version is really messy, because Matthew pulls back. He pulls back the curtain, man, on human pretensions. He shows you what really went down, what really happened. And I honestly prefer that. I prefer Matthew's version, the way he's, instead of just like a shotgun approach, he, he singles in on one place and what was happening. In fact, there's a painting. I don't know if you've ever seen this painting. It's actually by an obscure French artist named Leon Cognette. I may not even be pronouncing his name right. It's called The Massacre of the Innocents. And this guy exercises a lot of artistic restraint that you don't see in typical artists in that time. Most of the paintings, and this is obviously of of the order that, that Matt read earlier, when Herod ordered all the children two years old and younger in Bethlehem to be slaughtered. Now, I know we've heard that story so much. It, it's true that familiarity, it may not breed contempt, but it, but it breeds indifference sometimes. Put yourself in the shoes of a mother in Bethlehem when that order went out, and they didn't have social media back then. There wasn't a Facebook post, watch out, they're coming. You heard a loud knock, or maybe they didn't knock. Maybe just a Roman soldier barged into your little village, barged into your house, and grabbed your child by the head and did what he was ordered to do by the king. Imagine that. I love the way that Leon Cognette, he doesn't just paint this uh, massive death and mayhem, okay? Most artists in that time that painted this picture did. It's like, it's, it's, it's weird. Everybody's naked, and there's children everywhere. You, you almost get distracted by all the busyness. But this guy had artistic discipline, and he wants to zero you in on one terrified figure. You see her vulnerability. She's barefoot. She's afraid. He just hints at the mayhem in the back. There's soldiers running around like this looking. There's a mom running with her two little babies. And then he focuses in on this one woman, her terror. She knows what's coming. She is is cowering in a corner in the darkness, trying to silence her little baby from crying. And look at her eyes, man. Check that out. That's like the messy version of the Christmas story. Jesus came into this world at great cost, not even only to himself, but to others. This is Christmas with tears is what this is. And I love Matthew's version of that because the Bible is real. This is real history. This really happened. And I think for for women like that and families like that, and many others, people who are single, Christmas time represents a time of tears. It represents a time of absence from the things they had longed for and hoped for. And it represents a time of great loss. And we see that really backed up in Matthew. That's why I prefer his version. So we're going to see some things here about what God wants us to know about the arrival of this king. Three things, really. This is our outline. Three things today. Jesus is the king. He's not a king. He's the king. Sorry, Elvis. (laughs) Jesus is the king. That's the language that the Bible uses. Secondly, his arrival is troubling. His arrival. Now, now these are points for all of us. This is not just, hey, check out what this passage said about the first people. I would say this. Maybe I could change the first point and say, you and I were made for a king. So maybe Jesus is the king and he's our king. We were made for King Jesus. And we will look for a king and we will enthrone something in our life. That's built in already into our DNA. There's going to be an occupied throne in our life. Either Jesus is going to be on it or something or someone else is going to be. That's point one. Two, the arrival of this king is troubling to us. We don't want kings in our life, or at least we don't want appointed kings. We want to make that choice, right? Third point, his arrival is comforting. If we own it, if we crown King Jesus, if we do what Isaac Watts in his song Joy to the World told us to do, uh, prepare him room, right? There's beauty in that. There's order in that. There's freedom in that. So that's the outline this morning. Point number one, Jesus is the king. Matthew highlights the kingship of David. Even in chapter one, he opens it up, Jesus, the son of David. Jesus is the rightful king. And so there's these wise men that we read about. That The Greek word is actually magi. It's not wise men. It doesn't even say they were kings. They came from the east. We don't know much about who these people were, and this sermon is not going to be really about that, okay? But I don't want to pass over that and ignore that fact. A lot of people say they were scholars, they were astronomers or astrologers who studied the stars, who knew these prophecies from the ancient Hebrew scriptures that they were 
probably familiar with because of Daniel's time in Babylonia, Babylon. And so they were looking for these prophecies. In fact, the whole world was on edge. There were multiple global prophecies going around that there was this king from Judea, from the Jews, who was going to occupy the throne and rule over the whole world. So every ruler already was on edge that knew about this. Jesus is the king. The king. Why do they come to Jerusalem? Well, that's where kings were born, right? That was the capital city. That's where the, the throne would have been. That's, that's where kings occupied their, their thrones and, and ruled and, and wrote their edicts. And here's what's really interesting about this. When it says, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Just the way this is worded, the verb tense here, it's, it's they were talking about this over and over and over. They didn't just show up and ask a couple of people, hey, do you, did you hear about this Jewish king? No, they, every person they met in the streets, they were saying, hey, where is this king who was born? Where is the king of the Jews? And Herod heard about this. Herod, who was the king of the Jews. How do you think Herod took that news? Not good. Not good at all. He felt threatened by it. Why? Because Jesus was not a pretend king. Jesus was not declared to be king by Rome. Jesus was the real deal. Jesus was born. Where is the one who was born king of the, G of the Jews? This is his rightful title. He belonged on that throne. He had royal blood flowing through his veins. He was the fulfillment, literal fulfillment of that prophecy. He was the king. He was the true ruler. He was not an advisor. He was not an assistant. A king does not come and make suggestions to us, does he? What is a king? A king's word is law. He has authority. He sits on a throne. He holds a scepter. He has subjects. He isn't questioned. We were made for a king. And if we're honest, we know this. All of our literature, all of our history tells us this. Authors who write books, people who make movies. This resonates with us because we know we were made for a king. We long for a king. We just don't have good examples in history, do we? Most people who rule were psychotic. <laughs> Here's just three examples. King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table, King Aragorn, and King Richard. And all of them were good kings, actually. But most kings in history we look at were terrible examples. We were made for a king. We don't understand that in the West because we have three branches of government. Why? Because we don't want anybody to have too much power. Most other countries in the world have a monarchy of some sort. There's no... Legislative branch, executive branch, judicial branch, just to keep the power in check. No, the king has ultimate power and does whatever he wants, or she, the queen, does whatever they want. We were made for a king, and we will find one. We will find a king. We will enthrone something in our life. It's inevitable. It's in our DNA. We have to. Bob Dylan said it best. you got to serve somebody, right? So you'll find something or someone to serve, and you'll give it a kingly status. Maybe it'll be a flimsy one, a weak one, a pushover that you can control that's kind of a puppet. Or maybe it'll be a cruel tyrant who oppresses us and cracks the whip. But if you follow the trail of worship and service in your life, you're going to find something you've enthroned, an idol, if you will. Something that's calling the shots, something that you're sacrificing to, something that is ruling over your life. Every single person in this room, every single person in the history of the world, that can be said it's true of. They're serving something or somebody. They're worshiping something or somebody. There's something with kingly status in their life. We want to crown something. We want to serve something. And usually the king that we choose, the idol we choose, ends up wrecking our life. Whenever you give something in your life, kingly status, it will become destructive. We drift toward that, and it fails us every single time. Have you ever played King of the Hill when you were a kid like I did? It's hard, to get, it's hard to get something off a throne, isn't it? It's hard for something that has occupied the status up here. It's hard to pull it down. It doesn't come easy. Dethroning a king is messy and it's painful and they don't go quietly. And that's point number two. Point number two is King Jesus, when he arrived, it was troubling. Check this out. Where is he who has born who was born king of the Jews, for we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was what? He was so happy. 
that finally this king that everybody was talking about came. No, he was troubled. And can I get in your kitchen a little bit today? When we talk about King Jesus, see, we're fine with him being in that manger and being a baby. We just don't want him to grow up and sit on the throne and, and hold a scepter. Then he has authority. Then his, his word uh, has a bite to it, right? Because a king exercises authority. He can tell you what to do with your body. He can tell you what to do with your money. He can tell you things about your career, things about how you, how you view sex, how you view authority, how you view anything, really. We don't like that. That rubs us the wrong way. That ruffles our feathers. Well, it did Herod's. Herod only had this idea about one king of the Jews, and he was sitting on that throne. Herod was troubled by his arrival. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why? There was a saying that if Herod shook, the whole kingdom uh, would shake. <laughs> if, if he would tremble, then the whole kingdom would shake. Because they knew Herod, man, he's bloodthirsty, he's vengeful, he's cruel, he's crazy, really. If you read about the life of Herod, it's really interesting. He wasn't even really Jewish. Did you know that? Herod was, was Idumean. He was a descendant of Esau, but he married a Jewish lady, and he played footsie with Rome, and so they said, you know what? You'd be a great ruler. You just control, you control the Jews over there. We'll make you king of the Jews. And so he worked really hard for three years, building up an army, building things. He loved to build big, powerful, beautiful things. He was very opulent. And so Herod had worked hard to become king. And when he hears that a new king of the Jews is in town, he's troubled by that. It makes him angry. It makes him furious. And sometimes it does us too. Because a new king means power. It means authority. It means his law is not questioned. So Herod was not really the real king of the Jews. He wasn't even really Jewish. He was a nasty guy. He was egotistical. He was drunk with his own power. He would be a classic textbook example of not only narcissistic, that's putting it nice for him, but psychotic, sociopathic. He was married nine different times, and he never married for beauty or for lust. It was always for power. He wanted power. It was all this uh, political alliances is why he married. And some of his wives he killed because he grew tired of them or bored with them or he was suspicious they were involved in some conspiracy to dethrone him. He killed a lot of his kids. Some kind of king, isn't he? <laughs> and when he heard about a new king coming, he didn't take that news lightly. He became cruel, bloodthirsty, diabolical. In fact, the last five years of his life, he, he went insane. Suetonius wrote a book and was talking about how crazy he was. Caesar even said this. He said, I would rather be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons because he would kill his sons. Because he thought they were going to usurp his authority. But the last years of his life, he was ruthless. He was terrifying. He had his wife's brother, a Jewish priest, drowned. And then he pretended to weep at his funeral. And when he knew he was dying, he had a really... This is a really interesting study, honestly, historically. He came down with a terrible, excruciatingly painful and mysterious illness that, that drove him crazy. Uh, nobody could understand what it was. It sounds like maybe something like cancer of the kidneys, but he died in agony. And a lot of historians look at that and said he was cursed. His death was a curse. And he died in agony in Jericho. And he, this is what he said. The last edict he, he made was for his subjects to find 30 prominent people and put them in prison. And the second he died, to execute all of them so that the whole town would be sad and nobody would know why they were sad. They would think it was because of him dying. I mean, how narcissistic do you have to be, man, to make that kind of an edict? But that's the kind of guy that he was. He was a certified madman. But his most infamous act that would put him on par with Hitler in many people's minds was when he tried to ascertain at what time the wise men saw this, this star in the sky so that he could, could figure out when Jesus was born and he could make this determination that every baby aged two and under would be slaughtered. That was the first Christmas was a troubled and a very sad Christmas for the people that lived in Bethlehem, wasn't it? Herod was diabolical. He didn't want any competition to his throne. We don't either. Why does the thought of a king leave us unsettled? Maybe because we think he's coming to shake things up, to take things over a little bit. He'll wreck my life. Well, he may, but consider this. Maybe the life that we have been living needs to be wrecked a little bit. 
Maybe it needs to experience a shakedown of some kind and an overhaul, right? Rosaria Butterfield, uh, I've talked about her before here. She once identified as a leftist lesbian professor who despised Christians. She was completely sold out to her lifestyle. And then she came under the lordship of Christ, repented of her sins, and trusted Jesus. And she wrote a book called Secrets of an Unlikely Convert. And here is just a brief quote I wanted to share about her conversion. She said this, my past and my, my past, talking about her lifestyle, homosexuality, my past was my shrine and any person or worldview that entered into my little world had to bow to this. I started reading the Bible. I read the way a glutton devours. I read it many times that first year in multiple translations, all the while fighting the idea that it was inspired. She says, but the Bible overflowed into my world. I fought against it with all my might, with everything I had. Two worldviews clashed together, she says. The reality of my lived experience and the truth of the word of God. But God's promises rolled in like sets of waves into my world. Then one ordinary day, I came to Jesus. And she talked about the freedom. See, she was afraid that King Jesus would come and, and he would make her captive and would oppress her. But what he did was he liberated her. He freed her. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? If the Son shall make you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. Jesus is not coming to enslave you. Here's the dirty secret. We're already enslaved outside of Christ. We're already held captive. We're already blind and oppressed. We're already prisoners of our own making, man. We're shut up in this doubting castle and we can't get out. We're hopeless and we're helpless and we're blind and Satan has held us captive. We can't see the glory of Christ, let alone feel the glory of it. And then King Jesus comes, and he lifts that curtain, he lifts that veil, and we see freedom, and we walk into the daylight where God is. We walk in the light. See, before the truth can set you free, you have to recognize the lie that is holding you captive, and many people are just unwilling to do that. Jesus came to give us life, not to take our life. He came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. It wasn't Jesus hanging on a cross that angered a lot of people. It was his sitting on a throne. There's an old friend of mine who's an atheist. That's the way he describes himself. And we talk from time to time. And uh, I was in an online discussion with him a few years ago, and he was getting agitated. And I wasn't. I was being pretty peaceful, actually, trying to be civil. And he started saying things about his lifestyle and about the way he thought about life. And he said, insanity is my blanket. He said, there's so much pain and hate and violence. And he was arguing with me about how narrow and restrictive my worldview was and how free he was. He was saying, insanity is my blanket. You're narrow. You're restricted. He talked about how ridiculous and oppressive my views were. And then he said this. He said, Tommy, there's so much more out there than this narrow belief of yours. To which I replied, what I'm trying to tell you, friend, is that I've been out there, man. I've already been out there where you're at, man. And I got tired of the chains rattling in my life. I got tired of the guilt. I got tired of feeling empty. For 22 years I was out there, and the much more you're talking about was much less for me. And so I found freedom. And you're talking about insanity being your blanket, and you think you're free, man. You're also blind. One person said this, I've never let go of anything in my life that didn't have claw marks on it. And that's true, right? We're at war with ourselves. So often we view this autonomy in our life like Charlton Heston viewed his guns. Remember what he said? He said, you can have my guns when you pry them out of my cold, dead fingers. Remember that famous statement? Jesus brings new peace, but he also brought war. A war with people and their personal autonomy and sin. Herod didn't like people getting too close to his throne. And I suspect that we feel the same way. We don't want... Jesus getting too close to our thrones. So what, he, what Jesus clum, uh, claims to be as a king, it's, it's terrifying, but it's also liberating. It's liberating to know that you're not really in charge of your life. You know that already. Control is a myth. We're not in charge of our life. We never were. We're not orchestrating and directing the stories in our life. We're not directing the course of history, ours or anyone else's. There's, there's only room in heaven for one throne. There's only one person who can occupy that. It's custom fitted, and that's good news. We want Jesus to be on that throne. He's not a tyrant. 
Jesus did not come to take our life. He came to give it. There's a, there's a quote by Jackie Hill Perry. She wrote a book called Holier Than Thou. It's a great book. And she said this. Check this out. This is deep. You've got to think about this one. She said, if God is holy, then he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against you. If God can't sin against you, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? People don't think about God's holiness that way, do they? They view it as a threat, but think about this. All the times you've been sinned against, you've been hurt, you've been bullied, you've been victimized, you've been oppressed, and you've been marginalized, all of those have been sins against you. If God is holy, that means he's sinless. So he's a sinless king. Hallelujah. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? He's the only king who did not have a sin nature, Jesus is. That means he's the safest king the world has ever seen. That's good news. That's good news for you and me. That's why it says, when the Magi found Christ, when they saw the star, they re check this out, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You know what that means in Greek? It means they were deliriously happy. I like that. They were deliriously happy to hear about this king of the Jews who had come to rule on his, on his father David's throne. So those are the first two points, okay? One, that Jesus is the king. He's not a king. The second point is that his arrival is troubling. And the third point is the best one. It means that his arrival is also comforting. And we're, gonna, we're not going to jump down into every verse in this. I had Matt read all 20 verses there, but check this out. Look at verse 5. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Excuse me, back up, back up. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, this is what's astonishing about this story. They all knew the answer. How indifferent and apathetic do you have to be to all these prophecies in the Old Testament? The Magi came and they said, hey, where's this king who was born? And Herod said, uh, let me get my wise men and let me get my astrologers and my soothsayers. He's like, tell these Magi where the king is born. They're like, yeah, sure, right down the road here, take a left. When you get to that broken seesaw, take a right, first house on the left. They knew exactly where Jesus was born. They didn't even bother to go there and investigate. Isn't that astonishing? And then they, here's the best part. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, look at verse 6 here, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, do you hear anything in there that sounds wrong or sounds strange to our ears? A ruler who is a what? Shepherd. Have you ever heard of that in your life? A ruler who is a shepherd. Those sound like contradictions, don't they? That sounds like boneless ribs, or Microsoft works, or jumbo shrimp. It sounds like those two things don't belong together. They're like oxymoronic, because usually rulers aren't shepherds, and usually shepherds aren't rulers. But these two beautiful qualities come together in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a ruler who comes to serve, and he's a servant who comes to rule. What does that mean? That means you can trust him. That means he is here to make you lie down in green pastures and to lead you beside still waters. Let me ask you a question. What other ruler or authority in your life has done that and done it the way that Jesus can and has and will and is? Nobody. Those two things don't belong together. And, and most other religions can't, can't understand this. There's, that's why there's conversion by violence. And maybe a symbol of certain religions is a sword. But Christianity for an icon has what? A cross. And the mascot is a lamb. <laughs> He's the lamb who's also a lion. He's the shepherd who is a king. Those are not contradictions. That's Christianity. That's the beauty and really the power of Christianity is this king who came to serve you. This king who stooped down and washed your feet. We sing that. We sang it last week. Check this out. How many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least of these? Only one did that for me. That's right. Only one did that. It's the only one who ever did and the only one who ever will. That's why you can trust this king. He's not. If he wrecks your life, it's because that part of your life needed to be wrecked. You're like, well, I got all these relationships in my life. Well, are they serving you well? Is that how God intended for you to flourish? 
Here's what people think about freedom. You, you may, if you came to hear nothing else today, let me tell you this. You take this away. Here's the lie and the illusion that this world will tell you. That freedom means doing what you want. That's, that's the lie that the world's going to tell you. You can only be free if you're doing what you want. But that's not true. True freedom is this, doing what you were designed to do. You were designed to flourish. You were designed to flourish under a king. You were designed to flourish under King Jesus. That's why, listen, his commandments are not burdensome to you. His commandments are not burdensome to you. It's not burdensome for you to love your neighbor like yourself. It's not burdensome for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's when you really flourish. The Sermon on the Mount, as crushing as it is, if most people, if all the world lived the Sermon on the Mount, how different would our world be? Can you think about that? If you love your enemies, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. <laughs> what, kind of a, what kind of a world we live in? It would be a flourishing world, a thriving world, a healthy world, a beautiful world, a peaceful world. And that's the world that King Jesus came to usher in. And listen, you and I, we are showing the world what kind of kingdom we belong in. And we're showing the world, I told you this last week, we're representatives now. That's what the word ambassador means. You and I are ambassadors. We are showing the rest of the world what kind of king we serve. Is he trustworthy? Is he safe? Is he good? Is he wise? Does he know what he's doing? When suffering comes our way, are we showing the world, look, my wise, sovereign, and good king has ordered this pain in my life, and I'm going to trust him. He did it for a good reason. I may not understand it, but he's never wronged me yet, and I'm going to trust him. That's what freedom is. Being held hostage is not trusting the king in your life, knowing he's not there with your best interest at, at heart. Trace the, the breadcrumb trail of your worship and see what kind of king you've, what kind of king have you enthroned in your life? Do you really have, are you really free? Do you really have freedom? Has the son really set you free? The king came to set us free. If the son makes you free, you are free indeed. This king is different from every other king you've ever heard about. He's the ruler who came to serve. Most kings take. This king <clears throat> came to give. Most kings come to destroy. This king came to deliver. Most kings seize after power. But this king came, and what did he do? He surrendered his power. The wise men had to travel a long, long distance and journey to find Jesus. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to do that? He is not far, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans. He's not far from each one of us, not far from your heart. You don't have to go up and ascend up into the heavens to find him. You, have to, you don't have to go down below and plumb into the bottom of the earth to find him. He's right near us, the Bible says. He's a, a word in our heart that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This king came to occupy the, the throne in our heart. Some of the most dangerous lies we listen to are the ones that tell us that you can remain in control of your own life and still find happiness and freedom and peace. That's false. So whose promises are you believing this morning? Right now, whose promises are you believing? The promises of King Jesus to set you free and to be the ruler who came to serve and the servant who came to rule? So we would have to ask, what happened to, to Jesus' enemies? What happened to Herod? He died. He died in Jericho, a painful, agonizing, excruciating death. His charade as a king didn't last long. His secret was out. He was just a corrupt, fallen, psychotic, insecure leader. His crumbling kingdom didn't last. And neither did his charade. And neither were yours. And neither were mine. So today is just the day after Christmas. The day when you and I remember that God has gifted us with a king. And that king is good. And we can trust him. He's the king. And even though his arrival feels threatening to us, it's not. It should be comforting. Because you can trust this king. He has your best interest at heart. And he invites you to come to him. Like Psalm 2 says, kiss the son, lest he be angry when his wrath is kindled but a little. You kings of the earth, be wise. You rulers, come and kiss the son. Bow the knee to King Jesus. That's what Christmas is really about. Have you bowed the knee to him? Have you confessed, Lord, I need you. And my life is a wreck. Because I have enthroned the wrong things and I have believed false promises that have become lies. And would you please 
come, Lord, and, and occupy this throne and serve me. And that's going to be the answer that Jesus is always going to answer. That's going to be the prayer, excuse me, that Jesus always answers. Let's pray it. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these precious promises that are, are so powerful and so real. And so many testimonies in this room, Lord, will bear witness to the way that you came into their life. It was messy, maybe like Rosaria's testimony, Lord. That conversion felt hard, it felt painful, but there was freedom and liberation on the other side. You are the only king who truly understands us because you came and you occupied a human body. You came to a broken planet, Lord, and you suffered amongst us. You said no to temptation. You were sinless. You were the spotless lamb of God. You experienced hunger and pain and betrayal and hatred and rejection and abandonment. And for that reason, you are a priest who is sympathetic to us, Lord. You understand our weakness. You understand our pain. You understand our anger. And I pray, God, that we would come to you this morning, just con confess that you're Lord, you're Savior, but you're also Lord. And rule over us, God. And may we, we welcome your rule with glad hearts and humble hearts. Thank you for this time of the year when we can consider these things in new and fresh ways. Thank you for the, the young people in this room. I pray, Father, that, that this truth is brought home to them while they're young, Lord, before the difficult days come and they say we have no joy in them. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. And thank you for this word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we have our announcements and close out with our charge, we're going to have our song of reflection here. And that's when our worship team just sings. We have a prayer team in the back. If you want to pray, if you have a question about something you've, you've heard, you have a, just a question about what it means to be a disciple, how can you know for sure that you're a believer, or you want to join this church or be baptized, this will be a time for you to come to us in the back. And I want to thank you for coming today. Wish you... Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we're going to be back next Sunday, same time. Um, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be your pastor. This has been a great year for us. we got some exciting things coming in 2022 that we're looking forward to announcing with you. Our prayer team is in the back as our worship team plays. I cry to you in darkest places I will call incline your ear to me anew and hear my cry for mercy Lord were you to count my could I come before your throne yet full forgiveness meets my gaze I stand redeemed by grace alone I will wait for you I will wait for you on your word I will rely and I
come to make a way and God himself has paid the price that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice now we wait for you i will wait for you through the storm through the night and i will wait for you surely wait for you till my love is my delight and i will wait for you i will wait for you through the storm through the night and i will wait for you surely wait for you for your love is my delight and i will wait for you i will wait for you on your word i will rely and i will wait for you surely my soul is satisfied. Father God, we just praise you, Father, for sending your Son in the midst of the craziness, Father. That even though we might be going through a time of trial and error where there's just death and destruction around us, Father, just in this world and in our personal lives, Father, even this past year with COVID just running reckless, Father, and taking so many loved ones from us, Father, that we know that you are still the God that sits upon the throne, Father. And we just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a few announcements for you before we leave for the day. Does everybody, raise your hand if you don't have the church app. Just kidding. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> that was a trick question. If you are looking for information about the church, you can find it in the church app or on the website. Um, you're probably thinking if you're new here, I never get an email from this church. That's for a reason. We know that your inbox is overloaded. So we really try not to, um, you know, send you emails every single week or um, in the past, I've received emails from organizations daily. Um, and then what, guess what happens? Nobody reads them. And that's what we were finding. We were finding that the emails from the, that were being sent from the church were not even being opened. So if you're wondering, like, why don't I get any information? It's because you don't open the email anyways. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, not kidding. But anyways, but we want you to have the information because, like Tommy said, we have a lot of things coming up in, in January. We've... Um, we always have something going on. We want you to be aware of it. Uh, you know you're always welcome to call the church office or send, you know, a message, uh, you know, via social media. But know that the app is going to be the place where you obtain a lot of information. Um, so if you, if you ha are having trouble downloading that app, you know, on a Sunday we can help you do that. Or you can call the church office. I'll come to your house and help you navigate through the app if that is helpful to you, Okay. Um, and then also the church website, um, all of the information is there. And a lot of times, you know, they, they link together, which is great. I'm also telling you this because we will not be having our um, typical prayer gathering um, next week for Fifth Wednesday prayer. A lot of people will be out of town. Um, and so what we decided we would like to do, because we don't stop praying, right? We just, because it's uh, a lot of people are out of town, we still want to pray. Uh, we just won't be in all in one location. But we did create a prayer guide that you can access through the church app, which is pretty exciting. So if you, if you have your app open now and you um, are looking at it, um, you know how on the bottom where it has, and of course I don't have my app open because I have the announcements, but on the bottom there's all the buttons and then there's three little dots that indicate more. Click on those three little dots and you'll see more um, things that you can select. And on the bottom you'll see prayer guide. Click on that. It'll take you to the prayer guide or the QR code is up there on the screen. You can um, snap a picture of that uh, right now. And guys, if you'll leave that up on the way out, that way if somebody would like to, you know, 
uh, scan it real quick and then have it um, ready for next week uh, in their uh, open tabs. That would be awesome too. So the guide will give you um, just a few scriptures uh, for meditation and then also um, it will give you just some prayer requests that we have uh, as a church that the elders and uh, Tommy and Matt put together, uh, things that you could be praying for uh, in the life of our church. Uh, we are excited about 2022, uh, but we want to go into it uh, praying. So gather, you know, maybe with just in your home, you know, uh, families praying together or meet. Go ahead and meet with your D group. Just because D groups are not meeting right now doesn't mean that you guys can't get together and pray. I know that... Um, I'll be meeting with some uh, D group friends, and I think that's um, that's going to be pretty cool. So we have that, and then our we also um, have a gift for you today. If you have not received it for our um, our families for the children, we have uh, Miss Courtney ordered devotionals um, that will. It's a it's a a fifty two Courtney help me out here fifty two uh, week devotional. Uh, which is pretty cool, and it also um, is made by the same company that we're using for our curriculum, so we always love when uh, those things tie together, and um, less is more sometimes, right, so it's pretty cool that those, uh, those th two things, the curriculum as well as this devotional, uh, will work together, and then my last announcement for today oh, is the giving tree. Oh, and Bill just texted me. Hey, Bill, he's right back there. On our, he's the leader of our prayer team. Bill said, "Hey, our house is open for prayer on Wednesday. So if you do want to go to Bill and Christy Roth's home on Wednesday, um, Megan, will you please get their uh, information up and and we'll get you the address to their house? That's awesome. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Christy. Um, the Giving Tree. It's not too late. The hundred bottles of lotion that your awesome aunt gave you." You're not going to use those. Bring them next week, okay? I know that uh, you probably, you know, it happens, right? So we're not, um, it's not that we're not thankful for those. It's just how, you know, how many bottles of lotion does one person need, right? So we're going to give you an out. We're going to say bring those lotions or whatever excess you have. And, um, and you know, of course, not only excess. If you can give, it would be awesome. But shampoos, any kind of personal hygiene items, you can uh, drop those off in the front, and then that following week we'll deliver. And if you'd like to help me deliver those items during the week, let me know. I'd love to um, to bring you to the school and get some help doing that too. All right, you ready for our charge? I'm ready. It's the last one of the year. Say it like you mean it. Or as my kids say, from your chest. <laughs> All right, ready? I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.